This is Nick Sivkovic from Gainesville, Florida, and thank you for listening to episode 126 of the Crown Refs podcast. The Ref Recap is a post-game discussion of notable plays and situations from recent games. In episode 3, we will deep dive into some of the recent responses and interactions with coaches. This content is designed to increase the number of items in your toolbox and to supply you with more verbal firepower to manage those difficult situations and questions with coaches. Here are some of the themes we will discuss. When a referee gets a technical foul, finding the balance between addressing and ignoring, the best time to insert yourself into a conversation, when the conversation is going left, how to make it go right, commanding respect instead of demanding it, how to respectfully lower someone's volume, the importance of grabbing their attention before delivering the message, the five pillars of officiating, how to develop more feel for the game, and some fitness tips for the pandemic. This episode is available on YouTube. We hope you enjoy, and as always, serve the game. So we're getting really high tech with the ref recap show here. Uh, this show now features a topic bar. You see that, John? Yeah, man, it looks great on there. So I figured we'll uh, run through each topic. We can share our two cents on each uh, issue. First one's an interesting one. When a referee gets a technical foul. Now you might say, how would a referee get a technical foul? Referees can get technical fouls when they're coaching when they coach for the weekend. Mm-hmm. That's what I had. I had uh, I had an official who I didn't recognize at first because grew a beard over the quarantine. Thought he was thought he might have been a ref, um, but it was confirmed like later at halftime. Like, oh, that's that's this guy. Anyways, getting loud on the sidelines, jumping up and down. Wasn't pressing the crew yet, but you could you could tell he's like screaming at his teammates. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So third quarter. Now he starts to bark at my partner, and I'm like, "Wow, this guy's a ref," and he's and he's barking at my partner. So it happened like once or two times. I go up to him. And I said, "Frank." His name wasn't Frank. We'll call him Frank. I said, "Frank, I just wanted to remind you that you're an official." That's all I said because I knew what he was doing. He he knew I knew what he was doing. I just tried to give him a little reminder. A little empathetic reminder. Hey, Frank, you're a referee. I know you're coaching right now, but just keep that in mind. Because I don't know, I'm very trustworthy. I just think anybody's that that's an official is like forever in the fraternity and sorority and gonna be respectful to every other official. That's it's not the case. I thought it was, but it's not. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I told I you know I said that line, are you uh, just wanted to remind you you're an official. Then he barked a couple more times, and, and I went over. I said, hey, if you have a question, we're happy to answer it, but you can't be yelling back and forth on the court like this. So right. that was his warning. And then I had a block charge play. I called it a charge. I hated the call, by the way. I think it was a block <laughs> and one. I think it would have been a block and one. So it was one of those, you know, block charge swing swing plays. 
where yeah. they thought they were getting and won. And I'm sitting here pointing the other way. No basket pointing the other way. So this guy jumps up and down, stomping his feet. So as I'm going and reporting the foul, white 22, player control foul, do, 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 do. Coach of white, technical foul, two shots. So that was all we heard from him that game. Then he comes up to me after the game, and he apologized, which was nice. He apologized. But then he starts talking about the play again. Oh, boy. So I just kind of laughed it off, whatever. But here's the funniest part of the story. So the next day, I post uh, something on one of the platforms that I post on about um, – it was a post about game management and how to effectively deal with a coach during tension. And he hops in the comments trying to kick knowledge <laughs> about how to deal with a coach when they're getting loud. Oh, no. I couldn't believe it. And he, he, he made a lot does, of good – Does he know? Does he know what? Does he know that you're – I don't, I don't even know. I would assume so because he got a tech from me one day and then the next day I never even knew he was on any, any of the platforms. He's hopping in the comments, giving his two cents, which is great. We love when people give their two cents and add to discussions, but I just thought it was pretty odd that ha now he wants to give us tips on how to deal with a coach. So I responded. I said, thank you so much for adding to this conversation. You make a lot of great points, but let's also point out that when we as officials go coach on the weekends, we can't get technical fouls. We have to stand behind and support each other through thick and thin. And I left it at that. Yeah, I know for me now, you know, being a ref for, for a few years now, when I'm, you know, watching games with friends or even family and, you know, they're saying, oh, what a terrible call. You know, I, I'm more of the staying a little more quiet than I used to be just because, you know, th those are, like you said, the fraternity. They're our brothers now. We're, we're, all, we're a big family trying to support each other. So, I mean, that's interesting. I wonder for him um, if he's more like a coach first or if he's a ref first, because maybe that comes into play too of, you know, how he, how he reacts and communicates, you know, when times get tough. But that's a crazy story. Yeah, I, and I don't think you can be both, to be honest. I'm not saying you can't do both, but I don't think you can go all in on both. You, you kind of got to pick one. Either you're a ref or you're a coach. I think he would lean more to the coaching side based on – his behavior you know but in order to be like all in on a craft it's got to kind of be one or the other I can't be all in on officiating and all in on coaching and think I'm going to be great in both I don't know I just don't think that's yeah that, that's true especially you know if you're a basketball ref and that's kind of your your number one goal it's it's hard to be like a fully you know all the way in official during the same season that you're coaching like like you said but I think that kind of brings you in and I don't know if you want to go to this topic yet but just how you're responding to coaches I know this has been something that you've been hitting home um, a few content pieces on on this um, so I'd love to hear what you're using responding to coaches yeah well I would love to hear what you're using I would love to hear what you're how you're responding to like you know the basic things that coaches say or you can like ask me a question on how I would respond to this because that's one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you about how how your conversations are going with coaches. I think the best bet would be to me kind of pick, hear you explain yourself, and then I can kind of hop in and maybe make some adjustments. What mm -hmm. kind of, um, what have coaches been saying uh, more commonly as of late? Yeah, so for me. Or, what, or I should I, say, which responses or which questions might you be struggling with or looking to, you know, build upon? Yeah, so 
my big thing is something that I've got a lot better at over, you know, I'd say the last year is when a coach is just yelling and comment, like just being the commenter saying travel or that's a foul, not necessarily asking me questions. I've got a lot better at not necessarily responding to them when they're shouting out to whether it be me or my partners. And instead of, you know, just nodding my head saying no, or giving them like a look that I, that I don't agree with them. I save that and leave that in internally. And then when the time comes, maybe it's a dead ball or I like to do it, especially during a timeout to not really disrupt the game. Um, I go over to them and say, I think I've gotten this from you, but I normally just say, Hey coach, I hear you kind of yelling out at us during the game. Um, if you have any questions about a call or maybe you saw something that we didn't see, I'd be happy to discuss it with you. So please let us know if you have any questions. Um, otherwise we're just going to continue to, to run the game here. And they've been, you know, very appreciative of that. I think they don't, a lot of coaches don't have refs that whether they communicate clearly um, and boldly other than just yelling back and saying, Hey, that's not a travel or no, we only took one step. Right. Um, so it's something that I've definitely been seeing a lot more, especially this year. Yeah, and you got to find the line between allowing coaches to vent and then not allowing them to just yell. You got to find the line. You know, you, you got to kind of just use your filter and identify, all right, I'm going to let him do that right now. This is, we don't need to go, don't need to go respond to that. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's certain things that, we can't have him just shouting all game. So yeah, like you said, going up to him maybe at a timeout after his team has left the timeout where he's decompressed a little bit. Hey coach, um, I, I noticed you might've had a few questions these last few possessions. I heard you shouting out. It's not fair to me and it's not fair to you because I'm not going to shout out the answer to you. So like right now, the way we're talking, I have time where I can answer you. So did you have any questions on any recent plays that you want to discuss? The answer is going to be no most of the – specifically, it's going to be no most of the time. They're not going to remember three plays ago and be able to explain it. They just want to vent, and they want to speak generally. Yeah, and that reminds me, actually, last year, I think it was literally my first game, you know, in the winter. I, I had a coach who was just very, being very obnoxious and just yelling the whole entire game not only at, at coaches, but really just yelling at his players and just being extremely loud and in an extremely quiet gym. So, I mean, everyone can hear what he's saying. Um, and during a timeout, I went, to, went up to him and said, hey, coach, I hear you yelling at your players. That's completely fine. But, you know, we can't have you yelling at us the, the entire game. And, you know, obviously he can yell at us um, if he's – you know, not saying disrespectful words, but I just told him, hey, you can't be yelling at us the whole game. And just went, went, went about it. He can't it. be yelling. He can't be yelling at you at all. Exactly. And I said, we just can't have you doing that. And he kind of took to a, took offense to it and really was offended at it and took that with him for the entire game and was just making sarcastic remarks at us. And So you know, how did I, that conversation go where it went left and you felt like you lost control of him? What was said where, you know, he just kind of didn't want to didn't want to hear from you.
This episode of the Crown Refs Podcast is sponsored by RefereeStore.com. At RefereeStore.com, we know that being a referee is not just a job, it's a lifestyle. And that's why we make it easy for you to find the right referee shirts, pants, and accessories for your games. Looking to stand out? We carry referee-designed products you cannot find anywhere else. We carry gear for football, soccer, hockey, baseball, and basketball referees designed to meet all required standards. This month, RefereeStore.com is offering a 15% discount for all listeners of the Crown Refs podcast. Just enter coupon code CROWN15 at checkout, then click apply to get your 15% off your next order. So if you're buying gear for this season, I don't know what your situation is, but definitely take advantage of that Crown Refs discount. RefereeStore.com and Crown Refs, serving the game. Well, what really made me kind of lose power in the conversation was when he said, that's how my, how my culture communicates. And, you know, I didn't really know how to respond to that just because he was being disrespectful to our crew. Um, and I just didn't really know how to respond to him when he said, that's just how, how we, how we speak and how we talk. So I kind of left that one alone. Coach, coach, I respect that. But the same way I'm speaking to you, do you hear the way I'm speaking to you respectfully? I want to establish that two way respect. Can you help me out with that? Is that fair? Then you ask him a question. So I'm just supplying you with, um, you know, a little bit more perspective here. And now I'm going to ask you a question balls in your court. I took a little bit of control there. Cause I'm, I'm kind of being empathetic. I respect that coach totally, but do you hear the way I'm speaking to you? We have to develop that two way respect. Yeah, that's really good. I'm going to take that with me. I think, like you said, not, not just overpowering him and making it seem like I'm right and he's wrong, but ask him questions say, Hey coach, I'm with you, but listen to how we're talking. If you have a question, let's communicate like this. It's much easier for, for both parties. That's, that's great. I said, would you like me to answer? Because you're just yelling. You're not even letting me speak. And I'm talking to him low this whole time while he's up here. Eventually, finally, he comes down to where he's, we were meeting eye to eye. I said, Coach, I had, a, I had the defender establishing legal guarding position, and the offensive player displaced to and through the chest. Yeah, um, and I just want to add on to that something that I found um, just in hearing past podcasts with you um, is really using basketball terminology when you're communicating with coaches. Um, that's found to not only calm them down, but it, it educates them at the same time of seeing, you know, they don't have the same angle as we do on the floor. So if we can kind of educate them on what we saw, they're going to be much more um, adaptive to, to hearing what we're saying. And um, adding on to that one more thing, I think you said this in your last podcast with Andrew, but the whole notion of getting the coach from a level 10, whether he's yelling at you and you're at a two and just saying, coach, 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 and getting him down to your level so that you can communicate like two normal humans will do. That's been extremely effective. So anyone listening that has trouble, whether it be communicating with coaches or just not how to respond when they're yelling at you, I would definitely use the coach, 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 and then start talking to them to get them back onto your level. Cause that's been extremely effective for myself. Yeah. Cause it's the attention grabber. A lot of times when we're ready to go give the explanation, the coach isn't ready to listen. So he may miss out on the first 
you know, a few bits of information. This way I don't, this way I'm grabbing his attention and I'm not starting my spiel until I know I have it. This mm -hmm. way there's no wasted words. And it doesn't have to be coach, coach, coach. You know, you may know him, Rick, 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 or hey coach, or I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm here to listen, I'm here to listen. It's more or less finding a catchy word or two and repeating, repeating, repeating. So in that moment, whatever, I mean, coach is going to work regardless every time. Yeah. But, you know, you could, you could create your own uh, little phrase, whatever works for you. But yeah, it, it's true because you can't meet fire with fire. So when, when fire is met with ice, it just has no choice but to cool off and the temperatures equal out. But, that's, yeah. is, but you have to stay low, though. Even 100%. as they jab and bark, you stay low the whole time. Eventually, it's like uh, the waves come come adrift to shore. I don't exactly. know if that makes sense, but it felt like it did. <laughs> A little science lesson today here. So someone asked me today what the five pillars of officiating are. And I had never been asked that question, so I thought about it and wrote a few things down. I thought it would be a pretty good thing to share. You want to hear it? Yes, let's go for it. Um, and this is in no order, but these are the things that stood out to me. Number one would be partnering. I always, I always think putting partners first is like the number one skill set. So number one for me is partnering slash character, right? Having a high character, being a high character individual. You want to be a great partner um, on and off the court. And I just think being a great official, you have to be high moral character, right? Mm -hmm. You got to be a good person. So that's one for me. Um, number two would obviously be rules and mechanics knowledge, having that, that science beneath you, you know, that's arming your toolbox, being, you know, having full grasp of knowledge on the rules, mechanics, positioning, all the X's and O's. Number three would be where it gets a little gray is communication and game management, where we don't get as much training necessarily on that, but major, major parts of the game, major factors of the game is how well you can communicate, how well you can manage the players and coaches and the situations. Um, number four, play calling slash judgment slash feel for the game. Mm -hmm. See, the more plays you get right, the less you have to communicate, the less you have to manage. So having great judgment and just that feel for the game ex-players have a, have a little bit more feel for the game. I mean, it's definitely something you can develop, but it's always nice to have it built in. Uh, and number five, I had fitness and film. So I know I listed about eight or nine, but I grouped them into five, five categories, the fifth being off the court, taking care of your body, staying in shape, fitness, and then film uh, mm -hmm. and study work. What do you think of that? Yeah, so you got partnering. I just wrote, wrote a few notes down here. Partnering, that's number one. Two, your rules knowledge. Number three, communication and game management. Four, which is, I'd say, you know, it's something that you can either develop or you just have it just to offer your experiences. Play calling, feel for the game. And then lastly, fitness and film. Um, I, me being, being a former player, um, I kind of had that feel for the game one down, but a part of that, you mentioned play calling, which comes with that film aspect as well as your rules knowledge. So I think it's great that you put them into five different categories, but you can see how, you know, they all mesh together to become 
you know, one solid official. So I think, I think that was really, really good to categorize them. Those five different ones. Um, Anything I left out? Anything you want to add? I'm, I'm just curious on what your thoughts are. Say someone, you know, a brand new officials never played basketball before, but loves the game, loves watching it, never played before. Do you have any recommendations for them on how they can get a better feel for the game other than, you know, just getting the reps in? Not really. Yeah. I mean, that's the basic answer is just putting in the, it's putting in the work both on and off the court, obviously seeing as many plays as possible, working as many games, accumulating as many reps as you can on the court, but then off the court film and fitness back to the fifth pillar, you know, Mm -hmm. film and fitness. There's so many times before I watched film where during a live ball, I make a call and I'm not certain if I'm correct because I haven't audited myself after the game by watching and, you know, making sure that my judgment live is accurate. So the more film you watch and you're kind of reassuring yourself that what you did live, you know, you're super confident in it when you made the call. And then you go back to the film and double check and it's correct. So that kind of gives you that, that confidence going on and off the court. Yeah. I I think I remember you telling me this. I asked, I think you had like a slate of five or six games one weekend. And I, I texted you and I was like, Hey, how'd your games go this weekend? And you were like, fine. Pending film review. Cause (laughs) just like you said, I mean, you can feel good about it. Maybe a coach doesn't yell at you for, you know, three or four games in a row when you have a great partner who you think you made some good calls, but really there's no way that you accurately know how you did in terms of play calling um, with it, without the whole film aspect. So I, I think that's great that you put that in, in your five pillars. Yeah. And because there's so many times on the court too, where you think you're doing the right thing and then you watch your, the film and you're like, Oh my God, I forgot to do that. Or we left this out. Or how can we bring this into the game at this point? So that's, it's just, listen, you learn by losing. And um, you got to be able to extract all the things that you need to improve on and use that as your fuel or your inspiration in order to grow. For for this next one, I was going to talk about the um, inbound pass where he was shuffling back and forth. And I know you can, in high school at least, you can, shuffle three feet and you're like in a specific three foot zone. Right. Um, you can go as far back as possible. Cause I've never had that before where it's, you know, you got a guy shuffling all over the place. We just toned it in. Well, a lot of people are going to yell out travel. It's an odd looking play, which gets mm-hmm. a reaction out of people because you don't see anybody really doing that on throw-ins. So the first time somebody takes a little shuffle, Oh, it was a travel or, you can't move. Yeah. But you can move. Can move. Yes, you can. You can move backwards infinitely <laughs> as you're pulling up the rule. So the designated spot, that's what we're talking about here, designated spot throw-in, you get a three-foot box. Yep. You're standing in a three-foot box. So as long as you have one foot in that box, you can step as far as you can. So if I was a minute bull, you know, and I had really long legs, I can keep one foot in the box. And however long my legs are, I could be 10 feet out of the box as long as my other foot is still in the box. My, my thing is if it's actually like called traveling or no. like what that, 
what the actual violation what, is if called. If you go outside of the three-foot box, mm-hmm. it's just a violation. You violation. Just, just violation, and you can almost indicate, almost like you're indicating um, to the person who's throwing it in that they have the line that they can run. I would mm-hmm. almost do a similar signal, but I might point to the spot they started and finish at the spot they ended and then just point the new direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So boot, that's a violation. And then show the signal, point, white ball. So the designated spot is the location at which the thrower in is presented disposal of the ball out of bounds. The designated spot shall be three feet wide with no depth limitation. So I can go backwards as far as I want. The thrower in must keep one foot on or over the designated spot until the ball is released. So as long as I have that one foot in there, I could stretch as far as I want. I actually think that's an advantage. Maybe if a throwing is being well defended to find a new passing lane. I don't see any teams take advantage of this rule. Not that it would provide a huge advantage, but I don't understand why we don't see it a little bit used in the game. Yeah, especially if you got a like you said a big guy defending you, shuffling three feet to your left or right could really make a big difference. The thrower in shall not leave the designated spot until he or she has released the ball and the throw-in throw-in ball has crossed the plane of the sideline or end line. In arenas or gyms where there is insufficient space along the out-of-bounds line for a throw-in, an official shall require the defender guarding the thrower in to move back a reasonable distance to give the thrower in an opportunity to make a throw-in. So if, so if uh, the gym does not allow you to go back three feet, if you can only go back two feet, then you have to move the defender back one foot to create that three feet of space. Good on that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, I'm looking at like my, this guy. I don't know if you're looking online, but mine says the same thing, just in a little different verbiage, so. Okay, I, I oh, gave you the NCAA. Oh. That was the NCAA book. Um, so I imagine the rules are the same, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes their their rules it could have ninety eight percent of the same verbiage. You'll see like two percent, just you know, words that are mixed up. So my second, or my my big, big experience that came up in a recent game that I wasn't too familiar with. Um, but really want to get your take on it since it is a, a knowledge-based and play-calling pillar of officiating is a basket was made and I administered the ball underneath the basket going the other way. And it was full court press. So the defender was obviously defending the inbounder. And I noticed that the player inbounding the ball was shuffling back and forth Um excuse me, it was after a timeout. So they were not able to move. Um, I think it was just a dead ball. So they weren't able to, you know, run the baseline back and forth. But I did notice that they were shuffling back and forth quite a bit. And I wanted to call a violation. I wanted to call travel, but I knew traveling wasn't the right um, violation. Um, I did look it up after the game, but I'm curious if you've run into this or you know kind of the answer in terms of the the rules and the play calling well the rule we just discussed this is so it's a designated spot 
play. So you have to determine was that shuffle, did, did, did he or she leave the designated spot area? So it's okay to shuffle. It's okay to do jumping jacks. It's okay to do squats when you're throwing in the ball. But did I move out of the three-foot box? So let me put that question back to you. Right. So, you know, obviously I can't remember if they moved three, three or more feet. But um, going back to that situation, if they did move past the three-foot box side to side, then it would just be a violation um, and it'd be the other team's ball. But something that is interesting, part of the rule is you can move as far back as possible and you can move as, as far forward as possible without going over the line. So I think that's just a good, good rules and something to good knowledge to have in the back of your head. If anything like that does occur. Um, I just thought it was a pretty different experience I've never had, um, but just something good to, good to move forward with. Yeah. And that's why when uh, players inbounding the ball, we always have to over communicate there. You have the line, you can move or you're on the spot. You're on the spot. You can move back. I don't even tell them that they can move to the side. I'll just say you're on the spot. You can move back. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So well, I just wanted to get your, I just wanted to get your take on it. Cause you know, I did go back into my rule book and Googled it, you know, on the spot just to make sure I'm learning something every game. Yeah. Um, but that's something I wrote down. You can move three foot horizontally. Um, and there is an imaginary restraining line imposed by us. That's something we have to do as officials to communicate not only with the person throwing in the ball, but also the defender to make sure that they have enough room to, to throw the ball in. Yeah. Are you at an out-of-bounds play? Or, or back, I think the last time we spoke, you were trying to tweak and get, get out, uh, rework your muscle memory with not um, saying like off blue, off blue off white just coming with the color white white ball red ball so you say you're still struggling with that a little bit yeah still still struggling with that i don't know if i'm just trying to sell the call to the players or or what what the deal is with with me i mean it's like you said it's a muscle memory thing i've just been doing it for so long where i'm saying off white blue ball um and obviously it's 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 the correct you know play call um but i think you've told this to me before maybe you know off off camera but if you're doing too many different mechanics and saying too many different words you're on, you're only going to confuse whether it be coaches or players or e even fans who want to know what the call is so something that i'm really trying to stay away from is saying off white blue ball and just going to blue ball and pointing the direction something that i've also which was muscle memory for me in the years past is the whole um, deflection. If mm -hmm. it's a blocked shot underneath the hoop, there's no need that no one's saying there's no rule in the rule book where you have to denote that it's been a blocked shot. Um, if, you know, if, if a coach or a player asks you, Hey, who tipped that out? You can, you can, you can you know, use it in that instance, but really no need to, to do the, to do the extra thing yeah. really. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to my buddy the other night. We were working a game, and, and he was doing similar thing. He did the wall up one time, which is now an extinct signal. He does this on clean block, or does this on clean blocks. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I just said, listen, we, we, we need to cut out the extra stuff because it can wind up get, getting us in trouble. As you're going here, next thing you know, your partner could be going here. And now we have, you know, opposing calls. So what happens? Two quarters later, drive to the, to the um, lane. He's lead on trail. Contact. I see this. And then I, I come with a foul. I think I, I only I probably only called the foul on purpose just to show him. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't call it on purpose. But I wasn't in a great position when I called it. I might have wanted it back. However, it just shows you that that too many signals now can screw us up because he's going clean block and then look at me coming in with a foul. And then Yeah. You know, not very united there. Yeah, so that was a- that was a case in point for him. And then as soon as we got up the next time out, we both hysterically laugh and he's like, I'm done. He goes, I'm done. He goes, I get it now. This is an example of, again, learning by losing. Mm-hmm. Well, now he knows. And every time where, you know, he thinks about doing it, he's going to be like, oh, I remember with Paul, never again. Sure. Yep. So, so back to your point. I mean, this is just going to take more discussions like this, more reps, more you executing on the court. And when you do make the mistake and say off red, then internally slap yourself. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> you know? It's just, you know, when we make mistakes and we like cringe internally, that's good though, because I think the more cringing we do and get that feeling out of us, then we'll be able to discard it totally. Yeah. And that's definitely the first step for myself is recognizing that you're making a mistake internally um and something that i have done before when i'm officiating with people that i'm close to or i've known for a few years i sometimes give them the rundown because they know i want to you know continue improving as an official not obviously not every official you know is in it to continuously be improving and maybe they're just you know looking to make make some money which is fine but for me i really want to get something from every game that i'm officiating so sometimes i tell them if i'm roughing with my brother or I'm wrestling with um, some good buddies of, m- of mine, I tell them, hey, if I do this, let me know at the next dead ball because I'm trying to get this out of my system so it doesn't happen, you know, when it when it's a, you know, a, a league game or a, or a high school game. Um, so that's something that I just like to do. Yep, that's good. Have you had a, a lot of games since we spoke last? Were you able to kind of bring the, the content we're discussing on the court with you? Yes, I, I haven't had too many since, you know, it's locked down where I'm at, but um, I think I had four and then we went into lockdown after that four. Um, but the whole doing extra and the wall up stuff, I'm, I'm done with that. It's really the one thing that's, that's just stupid of me to do is the, the off-white blue ball or whatever the two teams are. That's, that's the thing that just keeps hitting me. And for some reason, I can't get it out, but um recognizing it's the first step yeah it it's days are numbered right i mean I, you're gonna get this what next game the game after like this yeah. isn't gonna be an issue a month from now mm-hmm. so that's good stuff i like it i like it uh you had any like crazier or layered like plays stick out lately um Trying to think, I think one thing that I'm, another thing that's really just doing extra. Um, but if, like you said, if if you don't have a good angle at a play, but you, you know, you saw something where you would have called it if you were in your partner's position, 
I'm really trying to go away from calling outside of my zone unless it's a, a game-changing call um, or a game-breaker. I think we've called them before. Yeah. Um, but just like little calls where I see a travel, you know, barely out of my zone, but in my part, have my heart and die with, with their calls and not, you know, be that ref that's stepping outside of their zone and their, uh, their PCA. Um, so that's something I'm trying to work on. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to be like that know-it-all and make sure that I'm calling every single thing that I see on the court. Cause I'm not supposed to, that's not my responsibility. And if I am calling outside of my zone, that means that I'm not paying attention to my zone. So that's kind of what I tell myself and say, Hey, you shouldn't even be looking over there. So pay attention to your own zone. Yeah. Yeah. Just take pride in, in owning your primary, you know, just taking care of your primary coverage responsibility and then trusting your partner. And also knowing that you guys are going to miss things. No one's ever ref the perfect game. No one ever will. Right. Although I did hear of a major league umpire in the world series who, who got, who was a hundred percent on balls and strikes. Did you hear that? No. What was that recent? This was in this year's world series. I guess this oh, is wow. a new stat that they started for, or maybe not new, but I guess that, that we're aware of. But he, he called a perfect game on balls and strikes. And, you know, they have the computers so they can accurately tell you if it's a ball or a strike. Your man was 100%. <laughs> That's impressive. And I, I don't know if they can do that for basketball. Um, but, I mean, the only way that we can kind of get close to that in basketball is um, film review, really, for, you, for yourself. Mm. That, that's crazy. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, I think fortunate enough for hopefully, you know, human officials will always be, you know, the thing. But fortunately for basketball, I, I mean, I'm no tech guy, but I don't, I can't see robots running up and down the court making calls, bang bang. At least like we're doing it. So, you got anything else you want to uh, discuss? Any other questions? Um. I was going to ask you, and maybe this is just something that you get asked a lot um, just on your Instagram stories, but is there anything that you're doing? I don't know what your situation's like in terms of gyms being open, um, but how are you? Because for me, my gym's closed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you, you, can, you can do a lot at home with home workouts, but I'm just curious on how you're staying fit, whether it be through your diet, making you know dietary changes to – continue to stay fit so that when the time comes for the season, you're, you're ready to go. Um, just curious what, what you're doing to stay fit. Well, listen, I definitely put on the COVID-19 originally <laughs> or the COVID-17, I think, um, because I'm a guy who, you know, it was super active from early morning into late at night. And then that just came to an end where I'm just sitting in, in the house all day and on the computer so just overall calorie burn went way down. So I got some love handles and uh, put on some pounds. And I'm like, this is not it. This is not it. So, you know, with gyms being closed at that time, and I'm speaking like June or May, June-ish right now, you know, I'm just like, all right, I need to make no excuses. I need to take control of, you know, my own fitness and just go out and execute. So I went out and bought a bike, fell in love with just going and riding on trails, something I never did. I didn't have a bike since I was a senior in high school, but just, just like, hey, gyms are closed. I got to do my cardio. 
let me try to fall in love with something new. So I really fell in love with uh, taking out my bike. That inspired me to go buy another bike, which is an elliptical on a bike. It's called the Elliptigo. Amazing bike. So it's an elliptical machine on top of a bike. So you pedal it just like you would on a bike, but it's a stand-up. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really good workout. If you have if you ever seen like an arc trainer at the gym, it, it kind of mimics that motion. But it's really good, really good. Uh, then I bought an elliptical machine for my home. It's a, low, it's a, it's a stepper. It's like a low stepper. Mm -hmm. um, so you could, I mean, you could do it sitting down. I haven't done it sitting down, but people actually, it's a way of like staying active if you're sitting, but you could stand on it and it's an elliptical machine. It doesn't have long, long strides, but I'll, I'll like turn on a show, watch a Netflix show and I'll be on in an hour and I'll burn 600 calories. Yeah. Um, what else? I, I do jump ropes. I like to jump rope at least five to 10 minutes, pretty consistently five days a week. My fitness philosophy is, is, is kind of different than normal. I don't just like go to the gym for an hour and a half or an hour and then like that's it. I believe of, about sprinkling fitness in throughout the entire day. So like doing something in the morning, whether it's, it, it could be seven minutes. It could just be seven minutes of abs or seven minutes of jumping rope. So I do that at like eight o'clock, 8.45, I'm doing pull-ups, you know, 10.20, I'm doing push-ups. Later on in the day, I'm doing elliptical. So it's like, it's a really spread out thing. And yeah. I'm over, I guess I'm, I'm looking for overall calorie burn and just overall like movement and steps. So, so once I gained the weight, that really fueled me to go all in on, um, you know, biking, home gym. Also, I had the Bowflex, the Bowflex dumbbells. I bought those wow. in 2012. The, they go up to 52 pounds. So it's like you have a whole rack of dumbbells in the house too. And, you know, YouTube, unlimited fitness content. You could find the greatest workouts on YouTube for free. So as far as like no gyms, there's, yeah. just, there's really no excuses, you know. You have the capabilities, whether you have weights or not, to pretty much get in the best shape of your life. You just got to do it. Yeah, I just know a lot of places now that we're getting into the dog days of winter where, you know, it gets dark at 4.30. That motivation just goes down the drain. I, Why, what are the dark? Yeah, I, I mean, I can speak for myself, but once I see the darkness out there, there's just, I'm, my inspiration and motivation goes down the drain. But I try to, like, like you, I try to sprinkle things in daily, especially now that the gyms aren't open. Whether it just be, you know, getting out of the house and going for a 10-minute walk. That's really a lot better than nothing. Um, doing some abs, just, you know, really, like, for me, is the whole step thing. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's continued to motivate me to just to get off my butt and, and go do something. I just got a really cool a piece of equipment called the Iron Chest. Iron Chest Master? Iron Chest. It's Iron Chest. Basically, it's a push-up bar. But then once you do your push-up, then it has resistance to do a fly. So oh, you wow. go down, do a push-up, and then you push, you, re, you resistance fly it in. Wow. It's called Iron Chest uh, Master. It's great. It's a really innovative um, push-up bar. Because I was, I was in the market just for push-up handles, you know, mm -hmm. like a nice cushioned push-up handles. Because I have, I have weak wrists. I don't like doing push-ups with my hands flat on the ground because it adds more mm -hmm. pressure on your wrists. I like using a grip. 
So as I was um, on Amazon looking for different push-up bars, I found this and I thought it was really innovative. And um, so I, that, that's something I try to do five days a week. I'll try to do like just enough to where I don't get sore. So then I'm able to go do that the next day. So I'll do like, I do a 15 minute push-up workout. It's 15 push-ups every minute. So you drop down, do 15 push-ups, hop up while you're, um, while you're waiting, like cardio, jog in place, march in place, jumping jacks. So you're getting your heart rate up. And then yeah. once that minute starts again, you're back down doing 15 or whatever it is. I mean, like once I started the chest, iron chest, I can only do 10 per minute. Before that, it was 15. I do a workout. I do a pull-up workout where it's 10 pull-ups per minute for 30 minutes. Wow, that one sounds harder than the push-up one. Very hard. It's very hard. <laughs> you're on minute five and you're like, oh my God, I have 25 more minutes of this. But it's just like one minute at a, one minute at a time. 10, 10, next 10. Get to the next 10. Like Joey Crawford says, get to the next 24. I'm yeah. telling myself, just get to the next 10. But I'll supplement that. Like when I burn out on minute 11 and I really can't do any more pull-ups, that's when I'll do the vertical pull-ups. So you find a low bar. And you just hang from the low bar and you're pulling yourself up there. You know what I'm saying? With the low bar? Yeah, like, like your feet are hitting the ground. Your feet are Every on row. the ground. Your feet are on yeah. the ground and your body's slanted upward and you're holding the bar and you're, you know, you're doing a pull up, mm -hmm. um, a low pull up. More, more similar to a row. Yeah. But that, that allows me to go for 30 minutes. I don't think I could do 30 minutes straight of pull ups with 10 on the minute. I got to take like five minutes in the middle, go do my vertical pull ups where my, you know, the pump comes down a little bit, then I can go finish up. But I did 40 minutes the other day. So I was able to like increase that even more. And I was out in the cold. I was out in the 30 degree weather. But by uh, minute 15, I took my jacket off and I was warm. So the, the temperature is just an excuse. Uh-huh. Well, hey, next time I see you, you're going to be having, your latch going to be off the screen <laughs> if you do all these pull-ups. <laughs> Well, I'm not doing as many games, so there's so much more time for activities. Yeah, that's true. Well, good stuff, man. So hopefully you get some games this weekend. You go out and work. Use some, use some of the things we talked about. Same with me. And then uh, maybe we could meet next week again. Yeah, yeah. looking forward to it. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. If you have any topics that you want to hear us speak about, be sure to reach out. Let us know. We'd, uh, we'd love to include your topic. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, any questions, you can email crownrefs at gmail.com. Make sure you go subscribe to the podcast so you get notified when we put out a new episode. Isn't that right, sir? That's right. And appreciate all the people sharing the results for their, their Spotify wrapped up in 2020. That was, that was cool to see all the different officials that we've uh, impacted. Yeah, it's an honor, man. It's an honor to just have one person, you know, say that you were the most listened to podcast. I mean, I didn't listen to my podcast number one. I wasn't even in my own top five, so. <laughs> but that doesn't count because I listen a ton um, on the, you know, during pre-production. Right. But once I post it, I won't listen to it again. You hear yourself talking up. Yeah, I'm on to the next episode. I mean, I listened early on, like, first couple episodes because I had to make sure it was good enough to keep doing it. Love it. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later, man. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game.